Hello guys, welcome back to the King Kumar podcast where you will learn how to make change in your life and improve yourself to be the best that you can be in the rapid and competitive job market and in the 21st century. Today on my podcast, I am interviewing Jeremiah Campbell, a multrepreneur, meaning He has owned and operated several seven-figure companies and he overcame an alcohol and heroin addiction and now he has met people like Jay Shetty and and worked on projects with Grant Cardone and many other influencers. This is a... I'm excited to bring you guys this podcast. Um, Please listen to the end and don't forget to subscribe and share my podcast. I'm trying to get this to 100 listens and I need your guys' help for that. So don't forget, go on Apple Podcasts and share with one friend and also give me a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys. Enjoy the interview. Hi guys, today I'm um, interviewing um, Jeremiah. Um... Why don't you introduce yourself, Jeremiah, and tell them, like, kind of, like, your origin story, um, just a little bit about you. Fantastic. My name's Jeremiah Campbell. I, uh, you can find me at, at Jeremiah underscore Campbell on Instagram, um, or follow me over at LinkedIn. Um, I am a maltrepreneur, which means I run and operate and own and have founded several uh, seven-figure companies. Um, I'm 33 years old. I'm located in Detroit, Michigan. I, I'm um, a recovered alcoholic drug addict. Uh, my drug of choice is heroin. I uh, spent uh, about four years uh, IV using heroin. Um, was completely hopeless, lost, confused, didn't know. A um, little bit about me. I grew up in a happy household. There was nothing, no real traumatic things happened in my life. Um, however, I liked the effect that drugs and alcohol put on me. Uh, basically, summing it up is is I liked what drugs and alcohol did to me. They made me feel like I was somebody else. They made me feel like I was a better version of who I was. Um, they took away my insecurities, my fears, um, and they allowed me to basically become so, the person that I thought I could be in my head. Unfortunately, when you use drugs and alcohol, your life diminishes very fast to where my whole life, everybody around me was, automatically knew something was going on because you can't hide that bad of drug abuse for a very long time. It's very obvious. It shows in your face. It shows in um, your attitudes, you know, losing jobs, robbing, stealing, cheating, doing whatever I could to get and find more. So I uh, ended up in five different inpatient rehab centers before um, a 12-step program finally got a hold of me. I'm a huge advocate of the 12 steps. Don't care which 12 steps you follow, what organization you belong to. As long as you realize you have a problem and you want to do something about it, at that point, you are now helpable. So So, let me ask you about your addiction. So like, how did it start? Do you mind talking about that? Like how you kind of started getting addicted? Because like everyone has like their story and like, you just want to talk about like how that happened for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was um, my first drug of choice was fantasy. I didn't realize this. It was in hindsight when I when I when I finally realized 
um, what I was doing. So I, I'm the person that wasn't isn't very aware while it's going on till till these later years. Um, I just did things that made me feel good. So um, I always thought I was it would be better to be somebody else, and the drugs took me there. So when I first was introduced to alcohol, you know, I puked, and I said, "Why on earth would anybody ever want to do that?" And then three days later, I find myself doing it again. The people I was hanging out with, they smoked weed, they took pills, uh, they smoked cigarettes. And this was at the age of, you know, 13, 14, 15, real early in adolescence. Yeah. So can you talk to me? Like Gary Vee says this, um, but he talks about like how you want to surround yourself with like the people you want to be. So, like, if you want to be, like, a better entrepreneur, you should hang out with, like, entrepreneurs. Like, just talk to us about, like, um, how hanging out with a certain group influences your behavior. Yeah, so Jim Rohn, yeah, he, he wrote that a long time ago. He said, show me the five people you hang out with and the books you read, and I'll show you yourself in five years. And, and, it, and it couldn't be truer. Like, so people take on characteristics around them. So I'm either people back then it was anybody that accepted me because I was lost. I didn't know who I was and I didn't know where I was going. I had no direct vision or anything. Nobody ever told me growing up. They're like, Hey, you can be whatever you want. They told me that, but they didn't tell me how they just told me. They're like, Oh wow, you're destined to be something wonderful. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. Wonderful. What do you think I should be? And they would never tell me. So the, the people around you are going to set your standards. What is the minimal acceptance? that I allow in my life are the people that I allow around me. So back then when I was doing drugs and alcohol, it was anybody that would like me, anybody that would make me feel part of. So it was, it was, I, I didn't play really a lot of team sports. So what, what I did was I did aggressive skating. I skateboarded, I BMX raced, I did a lot of single sports. I skied, I dirt biked. I did a lot of single things to where it, it, it secluded me from being part of a group from the camaraderie ship of a team this is just what I chose. And then it was being around people that were doing, that were just as lost as me. And then when you put us together in a group, we had no guidance. So somebody was like, Hey, we should try this. And none of us had any vision of where we were going or who we were. So if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. So can you just talk to me about like how you kind of broke off that addiction? Like how, how you overcame it? Was it that someone you, you heard someone talk about it? Um, what was it that made you say, okay, you know what? I got to get, um, get out of this heroin. I got to like, um, just break off it. And like, yeah. So it was, it was, it was a long journey. It was in and out of rehab centers for, for a couple of years. And these are inpatient rehab centers. They drop you off. Um, it wasn't anything specific. It was, a, it was, it was the small thing. So, so my sponsor, in my 12 step program always says, it's not the mosquito. It's not, it's not the bears, but the mosquitoes that'll scare you out of the woods. So it's not the big things that happen. Like my little brother passed away when he was 18 of a drug overdose. I was sober for, I think about 60 days when he passed away and um, things happen for you or they happen to you. So I decided at that point that I wasn't going to let my brother die in vain. So when, when it comes to like something crazy, some people, when you're pushed into something traumatic, like a drug abuse, or if you're sexually abused, or if you get in a horrific car accident or something, you're, you're in crisis mode. And in crisis mode, it's easy to see the truth who you really are. 
So once you see who you really are, that gives you a basis point to jump off of to create a new identity of who you want to be because we're so bogged down by negativity and, and, and all these different things, social media, people telling us who we think we should be and, and it blocks us from being ourselves. So to answer your question, so to answer your question is it, it, it was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I, I was... I was sick of lying. I was sick of being a cheat. So I was the guy that would get high and preach about why we shouldn't get high. So not a lot of not a lot of people wanted to get high with me. So I was sitting in a, and just being with myself, sick from not having drugs. It's called uh, detox. Um, I, and, and anybody that's an opiate addict that's listening can can relate to you get restless leg syndrome and you can't keep your legs still and you kick your legs and you can't do anything. So your body is craving the drugs so bad that you're physically and violently sick. You, you actually, I mean, you actually shit yourself, excuse me. Like it, it's the nastiest, it's the worst feeling you could possibly have. Like heroin addicts think that they're gonna die in detox. So I was always afraid. And I said, somebody told me one day, they said, you're gonna either do it now or you're gonna die a dopamine. Yeah, yeah, I love what he said about um, social media because like, I feel like uh, my generation they're so worried about getting like likes and getting loved by the community, but they're not realizing that that doesn't matter. Like all you have to do is like be yourself and like, like don't care what the haters say. Do you just want to um share your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I never. So I'm 33 years old. I graduated high school in 2004. I had a MySpace in '03, and then. I never had a Facebook until I joined a group with uh, Ed Milet and Andy Purcello last year, and I had to have a Facebook. So last summer, which 2018 is the first time I ever had a Facebook. I never had an Instagram. I I didn't need any of that. I I do sales for a living, and I I run a, a, I'm the leader of a, I'm actually the visionary of a company where there's over 50 of us in my organization to where I really love face-to-face interaction. Who doesn't like somebody to give them a pat on the back? I mean, everybody does. So if I could post something cool on social media that I think that you would like and you like it, it feels good. It absolutely feels good. But we lose the human touch, the the interaction with having – I like to have these phone calls. I like to meet with people and sit down and drink coffee with them and have face-to-face interactions. There's a way you can transmit energy in a face-to-face dialogue that you can't do on any any social media platform. Yeah, so um, I want to go back to the drugs. Like, um, I I can't kind of really relate to what you're saying because I I don't have an addiction to drugs. In fact, I think my addiction is to my phone. But like, when you feel like high, what is that feeling kind of like for those who haven't experienced it? So you can you you experience addiction. Everybody does because I'm highly addicted to my phone. I'm addicted. I mean, there's so many there's so many addictions out there. It's an epidemic in the world that we're addicted to stress and anxiety as a race. We're actually, I mean, I'm not kidding, as a race, as as an entire culture, we're addicted to negativity. We're addicted to these things. So, so the disease, addiction, it's an obsession of the mind that overpowers the body, just like a habit. A habit is something you can do, your body will do without your mind telling you to do it. So, it's a subconscious autopilot that's built into your body to grab your phone because it identifies the, with the emotion of the connection that you have, which is a chemical release into your brain of certain chemicals that you're physically addicted to. So 
early on in drug abuse, it's fun. Like it's literally fun, like drinking and partying and doing pills. And like, it gives you a euphoric feeling of being magnificent, being wonderful, being everything that you've always thought you could be is wrapped up in a little pill and a drug. And it gives you this illusion that you have arrived. It gives you the illusion that everything's going to be okay. You're content. It basically does for you what religion does, what the spiritual void is. So the disease of addiction, in, in my opinion, in, in all the literature that I read, is a spiritual disease. It's not about God. I'm, I'm a believer in God. However, it's not about God. It's about a spirit in you that we're all interconnected with one another. So the, the, the drugs and alcohol allowed me to believe that I was happy, that I was content. And then when the drugs are gone, all those fears, anxieties, and insecurities would compound because you didn't identify, you hid from it. Yeah. So what's interesting is that I recently, I'm in college and I recently took um, a speech class and I had arguably, I think I had the best professor. Um, but anyway, he talked to us like our class about how he had like um, a drinking problem and like how that shaped his life. Like he talked about like how bad he felt and like, like how, how addicted he was. Like, he talked about his best friend, who's one of my, my friends now, um, his dad, sorry. And he talked about, like, how um, my friend's dad brought him home drunk. And he just talked about, like, how life was. And then he talked about, like, how he overcame that and, like, how he changed his life. So, you know, like, I love that, like, about a person. Like, I love, for, like, when they kind of overcome something and... um become like a better person like it's like a superhero getting his powers and saving a bunch of people so just talk to me about like that like how you overcame the drugs and then you got you started really changing the world and started like um i don't know if you've helped other people overcome addiction but like kind of along those lines absolutely so i personally don't overcome over addiction i surrender to it I understand that it's more powerful than I am. Any self-knowledge will not arrest my disease. Other people, everybody's got their own story. So me personally, drugs and alcohol, I'll always surrender to them. I can't. One is too many and the thousand's never enough. I don't, I still don't have power over drugs and alcohol. Last Friday, I celebrated 12 years drug and alcohol free, 12 consecutive years in a row. I'm 33 years old. I was 21. I, I got sober three weeks after I turned 21 years old and, and it's, it's surrendering to it. And there's a big, like as a man, especially in masculinity, we have this belief in our head, how men don't surrender and surrender is a weakness, but surrender is not weak. Surrender is, is I can't handle this. I need something more powerful and greater, whether it be 12 steps, whether it be um, God, Buddha, Hindu, it doesn't matter. Something bigger, powerful and greater than I am that I can lean into when I'm feeling weak. So the only guarantee that I will not pick up a drug or alcohol is to continue to help other alcoholics or addicts achieve sobriety. And that's our primary mission in 12 Steps is to carry the message to the alcoholic or addict that still suffers from this disease. Because it's a disease. Cancer is a disease. You go to treatment for cancer, right? Yeah. Like you don't have a choice. The doctor says, go do this. With the disease of addiction, we think that we can beat it on our own or we think that we're weak because every everybody could have a drink and put it down. Well, when you cross that line into being addicted, 
and there's different forms of addictive personalities, but when you cross that line, when you, so a true alcoholic, what takes place is when you're drinking and alcohol, I, I, I consider drugs and alcohol the same exact. So there's no other two chemical forms that are more compatible that, to, to where your, your happy receptors in your brain with alcohol and heroin. There's no two drugs that are more closely linked together. So you'll hear me talk about alcohol when I'm referring to my heroin abuse as well. So there's, there's no other way to arrest it if I don't surrender to it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So my, one of my friends, his name is um, Adrian, and that's the same kid I was talking about uh, with my professor. And our professor said that when I went to Adrian's party, like I saw alcohol and it was so hard for me. Not, it was like, like, even though he was, he's been off alcohol for many years, it was still hard for him not to like go back to it. Like, but he, oh, what happened? Sorry, I think we got cut off. We did. Sorry about that. You were talking about Adrian having a hard time being around drugs and alcohol. So, um, I'm, so I'll rephrase. So my professor, um, his dad, so my professor's friend is Mr. Thompson. Mrs. Thompson is Adrian's dad. So my professor went to Adrian's grad party, and he said, like, how he saw alcohol there and how, like, hard it w was for him not to drink even though he's been off it for so long. So can you just talk to us like about that and like kind of like what that kind of is in a way? So there's different with classifications of alcoholics. Now I'm around, I, I, so I, if I have a purpose for being there, if I'm going to a graduation party, now there's no reason for me to be there at 11 o'clock at night when everybody's drunk. So I go in, I have a mission. So like when I go into a meeting or I go into anything that I do, I try to go to my life, I, I, I try my best to live intentionally. So if I have a reason to be there, I go in, I handle my business and then I get out. So for me, I, I, I haven't, like the thought might glimpse my mind like maybe once every six months or a year, wow, a cold beer would sound good. Like it's never like, hey, heroin will take this away. I don't get that anymore. But the obsession of craving, the, the, the complete obsession. So once alcohol or drugs enter into my system and any form or cons any style an obsession of craving takes place. And that's they call it the phenomenon of craving. And what happens is, is I no longer have a choice. I have a choice when I wake up in the morning to not pick up a drink or a drug. But once I do, then I'm a true alcoholic addict. Once I pick one up, I don't have control over what happens after that. So I can surrender it for that point. But I go anywhere I want, whenever I want to go there, drugs, alcohol. I mean, if you hang out in a barbershop long enough, eventually you get your hair cut. So I don't go around places. So I'm very intentional who I spend time with, where I go and what my objective is. So if you're not, if you're not a person that's not going to help me get to where I want to get, I'm not going to mess with you. If I can't spend time, if I didn't believe when you asked me to do this podcast and I did, I looked at your background and I looked at what you were doing and I looked at to the, the different stuff you were into in entrepreneurship and I didn't feel that I could add value to you or you could add value to me, then there's no point for us to have this conversation. So, so I'm just real intentional on where I'm going, who I'm going with, and what, what am I going to take out of this?
Yeah, so I just want to talk to you about adding value, you know? I think our generation, like, they want to connect with, like, influencers, but they don't see, like, the value that they can provide in them. And, like, for you, like, I thought that I can provide you value by telling your story to um, my audience. So if they have this problem, they know what they can do about it. So just talk to us about, like, providing the value for people and how we can do that as a society. So, again, everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to feel Tony Robbins talks about the six human needs. I'm a significant and growth person. So I love significance. I have nice cars, nice houses, nice clothes, my wife, my kids. We have the finest life. I'm big in significance. But when it comes to, I've had the opportunity to meet some really, really important, successful people. I've met billionaires. I've had dinner. I've meditated with some of the most successful people on this planet. They don't know my name or what I do. I'm not, I don't get mad about that. Like why, what have I done so great that they should, I should be on the radar. I shouldn't. Um, there's different calibrations of people. And, and the thing is, is we're at a time where I am a huge follower of Dr. Joe Dispenza and, and we're at a time he always talks about, we, it's not just about um, to know something. It's know how to do something. Is really that's the time we're at. So if you want to, if you want to be an influencer, find somebody that has a hundred thousand followers or fifty thousand followers or wherever you want to go, and you ask them what did you do, and they all say they provide value. What what does that mean? If you're a startup entrepreneur, like be honest about it. Bring come from a place of humility and gratitude, and people will latch onto you. People want to see people struggle. People don't want to hear people bitch. They want to see people that are struggling because everybody can relate to it. When you're trans, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. You can go ahead. Sorry. When you're trans and people know who you really are and know what I really, I mean, we all struggle with content. I know guys that have millions of followers that I can text right now and they'll be struggling with their content. Everybody struggles with it. Here's the thing. We're all human. We're all in this endeavor together. Every one of us. Yeah, so I just want to ask you this. So I got many friends. I'm not going to reveal their age, but I see, like, how they're partying, like, every single day. And sometimes I feel left out. So, and, like, that kind of makes me feel, like, bad. But then I realized that, um, can you just talk to us about, like, for them, drinking is fun, but, like, that's not too good, you know? And, like, vaping, the same thing. Like, how can they kind of stop that, you know? Do you understand my question? Yeah, absolutely. So FOMO, you know, if you're missing out, we all deal with it, no matter what what capacity it is. Um, We can't, you can't have everything. Like I'll never have the nicest nicest house because somebody will always do me out. So it's just being content. So I don't tell people not to drink. If they, if, they, if they have a problem, they can reach out to me. I can tell them where they go to. I can even find meetings to go to in their area. But somebody has to want help. So I'm more into attraction rather than promotion. So if somebody wants my lifestyle and they want to do what I do, they want what I have, you need to do what I do. So like I wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, I get on my knees and I pray and then I meditate and then I work out before I get to work at 6.30 every single morning. So you want the physique that I have? Do what I do. Eat the meals that I eat. It's simple math, but people don't want to do the work. People want to have million followers and get sponsored by these companies and do all these great things, but they haven't done the work. And then every single person thinks that somebody else has it easier. You don't know their story unless you ask them. 
somehow provide value to people. If you can't provide value to them, so so okay, so so my friend Mike wants to get drunk every single weekend. Who am I to tell him not to drink? I'm like, Mike, that's not a good idea. And they'll say, so so what do you know? Well, I'm like, well, I've been to five rehab centers. I know, you know, my family's drug addicts, alcoholics. I know where it's gonna end up. And they'll say, good for you. I can't I can't convince him to stop drinking, but I can show him the highlight reel in my life. I can show him going on the vacations. Hey, Mike, if you didn't drink for this amount of time, guess what? You could afford to go on that vacation, but you didn't. So then it's again, it's it's attraction rather than saying, hey, hey, hey. So when somebody has a drug and alcohol problem, people reach out to me, they'll say, I need you to help my kid. I need you to help my brother. I need you to help somebody. And I say, I would love to help them. Have them call me. Well, they won't call you. Well, and they the, don't want it then. The problem is, is that we want to do things but we don't want to start things. We have, like, for example, like, this podcast, I've always wanted to do it, but only recently, like, after listening to Gary B, I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't care if this is going to be hard for me. I don't care if I'm going to fail at it. I just have to start and see where that takes me. And I'm glad I started because, like, I'm interviewing you, and I'm getting, like, I'm really, by doing this podcasting, I'm really increasing my net network. And like now I want to start my YouTube channel. But before I actually plan and do it, I have to start it. So I recorded, I mean, I filmed a video and now I'm going to go edit it. So like the problem with our generation is we want to do so many things. We just don't want to start it. I mean, that's kind of the truth. Yeah, everybody talks about multiple forms of income and revenue and all this. And everybody's just, and people, some, we, we use fear as an excuse for laziness. And, and I only know this because it's me. So, okay. So I have a, a deal with a buddy of mine that I'm going to do 10 podcasts by the end of the year, by, by October. So you're my fifth podcast since October. So I needed you to ask me to do your podcast because I need five more people to do this. And, and all I'm doing is I'm using your platform. Yay. We may help somebody, but more importantly, it's helping me redefine my story. Every time I talk and I try to add value to somebody else's life, I learn something new about who I am. What makes me tick? What's my why? Why am I, why am I taking the time to do this? I'm literally taking, I know what I'll make this year close to it. I know what my hourly rate is. I'm taking the time to do something because I know something's bigger, powerful, and better in the next version of myself. And the only way I grow is to get uncomfortable. I don't grow when I'm comfortable. When thing, when there's not problems at work, I'm not pushing hard enough. Create the best systems, the best. People think I'm in the construction business. I'm not. I'm in the human development business. The, the, the better I do is the more I develop good leaders. I can't grow my business unless I build leaders. And how do I build leaders? I have to become a better leader myself. And I have to figure out what human needs. People don't react to money. People react to significance. People react to life. People want recognition. People want to feel part of a culture. People want this. And, and, and I'm a millennial myself. Uh, I was born in 86, so I fall on the front end of the millennial spectrum. And I have friends the same way. I have some of the best team members that you could possibly ever ask for. So when I, when I go out there and I'm trying to add value or to help somebody not, you know, make the right decision, um, I was listening to a, a, something this morning. I, I don't listen to the radio. I got a no radio policy. And, um, and this guy was saying, he's like, a memory without an emotion is wisdom. And I'm like, man, that is so true because it's a thought and we make these energy and these emotions based in what we'll do is we'll attach an emotion to it, whether it be good or bad. We, we label it in our heads. So if we can control our minds, we can control our destiny.
So I want to ask you, because this is, I want to help people make change. So my story with my podcast is I went to two jobs and I got rejected from both. And I was like, you know what? I got to be a better person. Like I, I got to really differentiate myself from like the pack, like kind of be like that. I don't know if you read outliers before, but like kind of be like the green apple and a bunch of red apples. So I want to be like an outlier. And my, so I started this podcast to kind of make change and be a better person. So can you just talk to me about how people can make change to their lives? Is it just really starting? You got to try it. You got to try something. And then, and then you got to be okay with failing. I mean, I mean, Michael Jordan got cut from his basketball team. Um, Oprah got fired from her job. So she wasn't a good, I mean, we, there's the stories are endless about the different types of rejections and failures you have. So you, there, there's the, in my opinion, when you fail, you just didn't try hard enough. And if you, if you gave it your all, you're gonna learn something from it every single time. So like changing is just act, being actively conscious of what's going on around you, in my opinion. So if I want a better life, if I want a life of abundance, it, it just takes a lot of work. And people just don't wanna do the work. Like it's actually, it's hard to wake up in the morning and to work out and train every day. But I know how I feel if I don't. If I go out and eat McDonald's every single day, my nervous system gets 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 clustered and I can't operate at my peak capacity. So if I wanna be the, the person that I do, so, so I do a lot of vision building and a lot of visualization or visioneering where I take myself and I say, the person that I wanna become, what are they gonna look like? How much money are they going to make? How many people are they going to impact? What kind of car are they going to drive? And how are they going to feel? Like, what's that feeling that they're going to have? So I assume and capture that feeling of where I'm going. Assume that feeling now because you only become more of what you already are. So if you're convinced that you already are, are not enough, you'll never be enough. So I'm thoroughly convinced that I'm an, an that I'm capable and able of speaking on stages as keynote speakers in the, in the personal development business world. I already know that I'm capable and able to transmit energy through speech to provide value in other people's lives. Have I done it? No. Am I going to? Absolutely. Because the way the world works is when I admit to it and I say, this is it, this is who I'm going to become, opportunities open. And then here's the kicker. You have to have yourself be capable and ready to say yes. Because what happens is, is, is we're so busy saying no, because why would somebody want to interview me? I'm just a dope fiend, man. Like, why would they want to interview me? But when I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm a great leader. I'm a, I'm a great husband. I'm a, I'm a fantastic father. I'm an uncle. I'm a godfather. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm all these magnificent things. So when I identify myself to those, good stuff happens. It's when I identify to myself as who I used to be. So you're either going to be, you're either going to spend more time and waste your energy focused on the person of the past and the emotions of the past, or you're going to spend the energy and time projecting a vision of the future so you can become a better version of yourself. I want to know your opinion on this. So I think that our school system doesn't really teach us like failure. And the reason is, it's like they push us to get like A's and B's. And we don't really um, learn failure at all until we're out in the real world. Like, um, have you ever thought about this at all? 100%. So there's a book by Napoleon Hill called Outwitting the Devil. And he has a conversation with the devil. 
and most of it is around our school systems. And that's how you control our masses. You instill fear in children at a young age that they'll never become and that they'll never be able to do things. And then you teach them to not use their own minds. So I couldn't agree more. I listened to the book. A friend of mine out of California recommended it to me. And um, I pulled my kids out of public schools. Uh, my older son, he's now at Montessori schools. Just because it's, it's, you couldn't be, I mean, that's literally how, and this gets into Illuminati stuff, is there's no reason why you tell somebody they can be something and then immediately back it up with don't allowing them to think. I have a five-year-old son. He's extremely high energy. He's an absolutely lunatic. He's five. He's supposed to be. So they want to label it with ADHD and give him pills so he can follow directions so he can go work for another corporation and make the rich richer. So I'm like, no, that's not how this works. I don't have a college education. I'm a seven-figure earner. I make more money than 99% of my friends with degrees. So how can I tell my children to go to school? Instead, I tell them to think outside the box. How can you, you want a bigger paycheck, solve bigger problems. True. So I want to ask you, what is, if your son wanted to go to college, would you advise him to do that? Just talk to us. Like, I have many friends who do go to college. um, And I want to know, like, it's kind of changing the culture. Like, should we go to college or not? And I think, I know your opinion, but just talk to us about, like, why maybe people shouldn't go to college and reasons why they should go to college. So I went to college for two years. It was a community college. It was an amazing experience. I'm actually saving in a 529 college saving plan for my children. If they want to go to college, they're going to college. I'm going to pay for it. So if they want to go get a four-year degree in partying and drinking and having fun, absolutely. So one thing about people that make good money. So I'm part of a mastermind called Chris Harder. It's for the love of money. And his, his whole idea and concept is when good people make good money, they do great things. So... What, what, what happens is, is the way, from the way I was raised, which was very, I was lower middle class. So we didn't have many wants, any real needs. I never worried about where food was coming from. So, I mean, I lived better than 95% of the world and I'm grateful for my parents for giving me that. However, my children will always have the opportunity to go to private schools and to what, what, what money does is it gives people options. That's really the real indicator of what money does. So if my kids want to go to college, I want them to go experience them because I don't want money to be an issue. So if people aren't entrepreneurs, there's nothing wrong with, we'll always need doctors, we'll always need lawyers, we'll always need production specialists. There's always things that we'll need. But a college degree is not going to outweigh a genuine, a way to want to succeed. So somebody with a college degree, I have dear friends with amazing college degrees that make massive impact in life. And that's their vision. So when people figure out their why, it's going to help them. So my friend wants to be um, a, a, a child therapist that specializes in children with sexual abuse because they were abused sexually as a child. You can't have that position without a college degree. So she, so she knew what her goal college degree to get to that goal. I think college is an amazing thing, but it's not, you no longer get a good job because you have a college degree. And that's where people have the misconception. Yeah, I think that I talked about this with another friend on my previous podcast. And like I said that having a college degree is good, but it's not enough in this day and age. You need to be involved. You need to have like a YouTube channel, like maybe even a podcast. You need to be doing a lot of stuff like having a degree. If you think you're going to get a job, 
you're kind of mistaken, you know? Do you, do you listen to Mind Valley U, Bisham? Uh, no. So he said by the time 2029 rolls around, they're no longer going to need college educations because your phone is going to be synced to your brain to where you no longer have to. So there's going to be more technology in your phone. I mean, you got to think about it. Our phones that now have more technology than our president, two presidents ago, had in their in the entire world. So they're, so they're predicting that consciousness and con- being consciously aware and present is the new degree. So it's meditating and it's doing those types of things. So where, what do I need a college degree for? Uh, what, really, what, what, what does somebody need a college degree for? If it's not medical or, or memorizing, even lawyers. Even, if you think about lawyers, you can Google all that. True, true. So I want to ask you, you met, I saw on your Instagram, you met Jay Shetty. Um, yes. Do you want to talk about what he's like and what that experience was like? Yeah, he's amazing. I mean, he, I've, I've met him. I've met Tom Bilyeu. I've met, I mean, um, Dean Graziosi. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, the, the Microsoft, uh, I'm sorry, um, Apple, um, what's his face? The, the other Jeff? Apple co-founder. No, the Steve other Jobs. Apple co No, no, he's dead. The other guy I met, um, Wozniak. Him, I mean, I, I've got to be involved in these extremely exclusive groups to meet these people. And I, I was, I spent three hours with Jay Shetty in a, um, there was, there's was 35 of us. I got to spend three hours with him and he's amazing. I mean, he, he left culture because he, he told us a story about when he found, he was interviewing some of the most successful people in the world through his college. And one guy had something that nobody else had and he was happy and it intrigued him. And that's when he went and became a, a monk for three years. So he's completely extremely aware of who he is. And, and, and the emotions that he attaches to it. One of the biggest takeaways I took from him is don't attach a meaning to events. Like I said before, we, we, we make it whether it's good or bad. So he's like, you can't label an event because what you do is you're pulling from a past experience to create the emotion that you want. So he's like, no, so, so for instance, I bought the cottage of my dreams. It's 45 minutes from my house. It was the best thing that ever happened to me two years ago. I mean, I remodeled it. It's, I mean, it's just the, the most amazing piece of property that literally, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, my dreams and my lifestyle changed to where now two years later it's for sale. And it's the, it, it's one of the worst things that I don't even want it anymore. It's a nuisance to own. So I put, I attached an emotion to it that was good. Now I'm attaching a bad emotion to it. So we can choose what emotion to attach to something. And when we allow to stay neutral and look at it and look at each experience that happens as subjective. So an easier way to, to, to understand that is, is it's simple. If, if you're, if, if one of my dear friends, her husband cheated on her and she's going through a divorce and she says, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Well, she's the type of person she's, she's really positive. She's going to find the man of her dreams. I literally have goosebumps thinking about this. And then her husband cheating on her, which was the worst, will eventually become the best thing that ever happened to her. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about how you got in touch with um, all these kinds of influential people. Was it through networking? Networking um, and mastermind. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the real so you can be involved in lower level masterminds. Like Chris Harder has one's called Fast Foundations. I think it's like six or $7,000. It's a five month program out of California um, where you're allowed, 
if it, the the prerequisites are you have to earn under five hundred thousand in gross revenue a year. So anybody that's an early levels business earnings, the this is the group that you want to be part of, and they bring in their friends. Like Jay Shetty didn't get paid to be at where I was because the guy that was that threw the the mastermind, Chris Harder, he is and his, and his wife Lori, they're both influencers. They're friends with these people, and they just call them in to meet with us. So just being part of high level masterminds is how I got introduced to those people. Do you know how easy it is, like for networking? Like I don't know, I don't think many people realize it. All you have to do is probably go on Instagram, put out a D, send a DM, and boom, you're networking. That's how I network with you. Um, so yeah, that's just it's so easy for people to network in this day and age. Um, so I want to ask you two more questions. One, how as a society and how as me being the next generation of workers, how can we help reduce addiction? I don't know if we're going to reduce it. We're just going to become more aware of it. Um, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, I believe the, what we're in now is things comes in waves. Everything in life comes in ebbs and flows and, and things hit society as a whole. So it became really aware families against narcotics and these other organizations had started there, things like that. So just to be aware of addiction is just to be present in the moment and, and, and be more mindful. What, what am I trying to escape from? And I believe as a culture, when we put our phones down and disconnect, we're human beings. When's the last time we are ever being anything? When's the last time we are ever able to successfully um, to, to be anywhere or anything? So um, I, I think it's just being aware of, 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 of the present moment and being aware of who we are. So my last question is, I don't know if you're going to like it, if you're a Lions fan, but who do you think is going to win the NFC North this year? I'll be honest with you, I have no idea. Because here's the thing, I, I don't watch sports of any, any capacity. <laughs> I'm the worst. I, I literally have never been to a, a professional uh, football game. Oh, stay the whole time. Okay, I think I'm going to, I'm a Bears fan. I'm going to have to go with uh, Chicago. But um, Jeremiah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I loved your story. And I um, hope we can um, talk more. Um, just thank you. Do you have anything else you want to say to my That's it, man. audience? Any Anytime you want to reach out to me, anybody, feel free to reach out to me. I'm a DM away. Uh, I respond to all my DMs. I, I, talk, I like to interact with people. Um, any kind of value or anything that I've said that you want to you know, take a deep dive on, let me know.